The following podcast is proudly brought to you by Vite Ramen. Use the link in the description and use offer code BROKENSILICON to get 10% off tasty, healthy, and easy-to-make ramen. And also use the offer code BROKENSILICON to get 25% off windows, keys, and die shrink to get 3% off everything else on the website at cdkeyoffer.com. Now on with the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a gaming hardware podcast. I am your host, Tom, and I'm joined today, as I am on every news episode, by my co-host, Dan. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> How are you doing, Dan? Oh, I'm pretty good, I suppose. In the full swing of the semester now, so things are getting progressively more and more busy, but... Yeah. I mean, I guess... So where are... So wait. <laughs> where are we? We're on, we're, we're on Earth... And it is February. I was honestly Certainly. thinking, like so. Yeah, I guess you're out of the honeymoon period. The, January, especially the first like half, is usually pretty easy on everyone, both at work and in in the academic settings. But now it's this is when the rubber hits the road again. Yeah, and you know now in addition to lab stuff, I need to keep track of class stuff, so that's fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got to be honest. It's been. For more, for me, for my part of Moore's Law, is that it's been a stressful week. I mean, I've had a million of fire, a million fires to put out, just in kind of personal things, including like you know, Reese getting hurt because someone decided to leave a broken Starbucks frappuccino bottle by the side <laughs> of a sidewalk, and of course, we go running at night half the time, especially because night starts at like. 5 p.m. So it's almost impossible to not go running at night unless you go running before work's over. And uh, I had to get her, I did like bandage her up, bring her to the vet multiple times to get do checkups. I know people saw that on Twitter and the outpouring of support. I showed it to um, me and Mary Kate, you know, my girlfriend were looking at it on Twitter. And the amount of people that just sent us pictures of when their dog hurt their foot <laughs> was, I did not expect that. I expected a lot of good wishes, but I did not expect people to show us, don't worry, my dog healed from the same thing. And so it made it, it made us feel like we were all in it together, guys. I do appreciate the outpouring of support. But but rest assured, Reese's fine. And in fact, she's playing up how much she's hurt, clearly. Yeah, dogs I've seen do that. When I'm not around, I've seen her running like it's nothing. But when she's around me, she hops on three legs like she's injured. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, dogs are dumb. <laughs> yeah, but she is adorable, so we can't help but give her extra treats right now. Anyways, even if we know half of it's an act. Um, and um, I don't know. I mean, otherwise, you know, I mean, half of this. In more dog news, my dog just turned five. So there's also that. So. Did you I do guess, anything special for Wendy? No, I gave her some extra treats. You know, I, I don't celebrate dog birthdays too much. But since we're on the topic of dogs, I thought I might as well bring it up. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of other reasons why it's been stressful, it's just, you know, as we're recording this, this is technically the evening after I put out that um, 
kind of whistleblower leak again, but this time for AMD talking about how AMD pays AIBs to have like half of their day one stock be at MSRP, which again is a far better, we'll get into it more, is a far better situation than NVIDIA paying for like 10 of them to be at MSRP, but it's still dishonest and disingenuous and it's, and it's like, I thought about that and then it's like, so I've also covered ARC being delayed to quarter two, the 3090 Ti possibly basically never being real and how many other things being delayed it's been a very negative start to the year i feel like dan and i just want everyone to know that it wears on me too i mean yeah in general it's just been not (laughs) nothing great has really happened since uh for in pc gaming since uh 2022 started i mean or not pc gaming i should just say gaming in general you have Two massive acquisitions, which I don't think are great for the industry. You have all of the crap with every launch, seemingly, mm-hmm. <laughs> either being delayed or poorly received. You said nothing great's happened so far. It's like, yeah, 3050, just a flat-out lie uh, about that. Everything about that card was a lie up until now, which we'll get into later as well. And and then, like, the 6500 XT wasn't as much of a lie, but still some lies. And it's like, you, your comment, Dan, that nothing great has has you know launched it's like yeah i mean at the best you can say arguably mediocre <laughs> about the 6500 xt which is probably the highest praise i could come up with and, yeah. and even then i'd almost feel like that's going easy on it yeah it's been a <laughs> it's just been a I, I guess what is it five six weeks now it hasn't been the best uh six weeks as far as gaming goes but you know hopefully it'll get better over time yeah. Well, and, and the good news is, though, I would point out availability is clearly getting better. Pricing for CPUs is getting better. RAM, uh, most things are getting better. And you are seeing GPUs pricing start to go down, you know. So all I'm going to say is I remember last year going, I feel like by late quarter two, things will start to get better, but they won't be mostly better until the end of the year. And I think we're seeing it. It's not an obvious yet. But things are clearly getting a little better. You're seeing a lot of scalpers drop their prices on eBay across the board right now. Not not all the way, but it's getting cheaper. Yeah, and you know, I, I think the like CPU situation has pretty much always been less dire than the GPU one. But so I'm I'm just hoping to see the GPU issues get somewhat better than they are right now. Uh because CPU I honestly think for the most part, it's not st- it's just not nearly as bad as the GPUs. Yeah, and I guess before we get into our first stories, we don't really, I didn't really feel the need to put any of the corrections in or or, or any goofy reader mails to open. Nothing really spoke to me, you know, to open with here. I would say, are you able to get food again, Dan? Because I remember a couple <laughs> weeks ago, you sent me pictures of your grocery store, and it was way worse than other ones I've seen in my area, like just literally empty aisles of food. I can start to get food again now, which is nice. I mean, I remember going to the grocery store and they just didn't have like any a- any meat or produce out really at all. And it's getting better. You know, there's still some limitations. Thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, it's getting better. There's still some limitations because the only like meat I was able to buy at the grocery store was, I'm pretty sure, knockoff salmon. That is the only meat when you were there. And you're in rural Massachusetts, for the record. And some, like, John Bill, uh, like, sausages, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, like, and when I say knockoff, you know, like the, well, it's called, it has a color. You know what salmon looks mm-hmm. like. <laughs> it's like some weird, like, 
dye looking almost red color that I saw in the sand. So I was like, I'm pretty sure this isn't actual salmon, but <laughs> and my taste buds confirmed that because yes. it did not taste like salmon either. Better than imitation crab meat or worse? Because I'd say imitation crab meat tastes really good for the first two bites and then I just get tired of it immediately. I don't know. It was just kind of not good, so I don't really know what the fish was. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds worse than imitation crab meat comparatively than imitation salmon. Um, well, I mean, I, I do have to bring it up. I don't think you have it yet, but based on the tracking information I looked at, you should have it arrive tomorrow. I did I did tell our sponsor, my contact, who is actually the CEO of Vite, at Vite Ramen, you know, Dan can't even, like, literally the food, his grocery store is empty of food right now. Could he have some? And they're like, yeah. And as far as I can tell, they've sent you a huge package. So I guess if they're willing <laughs> to you. feed you when you can't get food, they do get at least an extra plug for keeping Dan alive. Thank you to Tim. <laughs> Thank you to Tim at Vite Ramen. And again, links in the description if you want to, you know, make sure you use our links to get it for a good price. But if you want to support, support them, they support us. And speaking of stretching things to the limits let us talk about a product that stretches mobile pc gaming to the limit with story number one story number one steam deck receives its early reviews now i have a a small write-up here this is my perspective before we get to yours i suppose valve steam deck is almost out and fortunately we have some early reviews at this stage moore's laws dead would summarize or at least i tom of moore's laws dead would summarize the situation as such for the Steam Deck, the input controls seem very highly praised. There's a lot to choose from in terms of what input you can use for aiming and like a shooter, and they all feel great. The boost clocks of the graphics card in the Van Gogh-based APU seemingly do not drop notably below their top speeds quoted so far, much like the PS5, alleviating concerns that it was more of a 1 teraflop console than a 1.5 teraflop console. And performance is about what you should have expected. It runs low resolutions, almost at 60 hertz generally speaking and if that's impressive will be in the eyes of the beholder i tom personally i'm not excited about a new product struggling to run two-year-old games at 60 hertz but if you compare it to other handheld windows devices it pretty much crushes them also battery life is again similar to the last thing i brought up impressive compared to most of the competition but it's still only just over three hours. Oh, and the speakers, though, sound excellent. So overall, this thing is in a league of its own. It costs half as much as competing Windows handheld devices, while generally offering far superior performance. But if that's enough for high volume of sales, if the game reliability is going to be good outside of the Valve's initial cherry-picked games for reviewers to discuss, is yet to be seen. So that's kind of my write-up, my take on the Steam Deck. I know you read some reviews or, or watched some. Let's just start here. How would you summarize the Steam Deck at this point? Uh, uh, to me, it seems like a thing that can run games on low in 800p, like depending on the class of game it's in at 30 to 60 FPS. I don't think that's really a surprise to anyone. Like, but That seems right in line with all of the performance we expected. Um, you know, it's almost hard to compare this device to other things just because, you know, it's pretty unique. I think other handhelds have tended to be a bit overpriced. This may or may not be, I, because it doesn't have much storage, but you know, it's kind of offering almost a new level of portability, but that's the issue with it. It's like... it's almost a new level of portability, and I think that's kind of the problem with the Steam Deck from my eyes so far, is that I think it's 
almost the, its own thing, it, but it's just a little bit too big or a little bit underpowered for what it is. And so I would like to see if they could have made it more compact uh, so you could truly like fit it in your pocket. It would have sold. I, I think it would have been a lot better or if it were slightly more powerful. But, you know, as it stands, it's a Switch-ish device that can play most PC games. The way I think about the Steam Deck is this. Are we comparing it to laptops? Or are we comparing it to other portable Windows devices? Because I understand that if you just compare it to other portable Windows devices, it looks crazy good because the other portable Windows devices cost more and are weaker. Okay. But also, isn't this substantially bigger than most of those other portable Windows gaming devices? Yeah. You know, and if it isn't, it still has a small, lower resolution screen, which some people would go, well, yeah, but, you know, it doesn't need a higher resolution, to which I would say, yes, probably, but at the same time, I mean, the other ones, uh, if you're only going to play indie games, I bet you actually could run the higher resolution that those screens come with. And, yeah. And, it, and if you're comparing it to a laptop, ah, for the price, there's plenty of $600 laptops that, I mean, I think Asus literally has an MX450 six-core Zen 3 laptop you can get so that is way stronger than this you know and it well is that way stronger let me think actually it's probably similar performance while having a bigger screen but and then you go well that's a laptop and i go yeah but is this fitting in anything that you can't bring a laptop in this is going this is not in your pocket this is going in a backpack anyways it, it's hard for me to say yeah to to me it seems like a device that's primarily meant for a person that spends a decent amount of time commuting using public transportation. Like, I, I mm. guess maybe there's another use case beyond it that I'm not thinking of, but that's kind of what I see it, it for. And, you know, you can say there's a lot of people in this country that fit that description. Like, it doesn't fit, fit either of us, but, like, what is mm -hmm. it? A significant proportion of people in the U.S., like, it alone live in a major city. A lot of people in Europe is uh, rely on public transportation more so than most people in the United States. So, you know, maybe there is a market there that I'm not thinking of, but it, it does seem relatively niche to me. And if that's what it's competing with, I th and I think like us, a lot of people would choose a switch over this. Maybe I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. I, I think I would. Yeah, I don't, I, I think... We'll need to wait for more reviews and a couple months to pass before I would definitively say on that one. I would say, actually, I would lean towards getting this over the Switch quite easily because it can already play my Steam library of games. But then I have to put an asterisk and go, I think. Right right now, we have early reviews where they're mostly looking at games that Valve says, look at this one. Mm -hmm. I want to see how many games actually work easily on this. You know, like, are there any big ones that we play that just won't work well? And so, and, you know, like, I'd like to see someone try to do things like play Age of Empires 4 on it. It'd probably be a disaster, but I don't know. You know, maybe the inputs on there and everything can make it work okay. I doubt it, but I'd like to see. Because that's what it all comes down to. You know, if it actually turns out that it does work with every game well, that then it's, you know, pretty decent. But otherwise, for me, it's like... I would just feel like I have to go for the expensive version. The, I think it's like 630 or something that has the anti-glare screen and half a terabyte of storage. I would lean towards just getting the full one there. Mm -hmm. 
you know, or at least I don't, I don't know though, because the SD card thing seems to work well. I'm not exactly sure, but um, if I'm already spending above 500, then I'd rather just spend an extra few hundred dollars to get like a 3060 laptop or something, you know, uh, you know, then yeah. get this because I whatever I have as my portable device, I want to be able to work on it. I'm not going to carry two things around with me on vacation. Uh, if yeah. I have a lap, and or another way to put it, I need the laptop with me when I'm traveling, anyways. If I have the laptop with me, guys, <laughs> my laptop has a fold open. It's super thin. It fits in small backpacks, and it it has a 15.6 inch 4K OLED screen. I plug in a controller, a full controller, and I can just play Battlefield or Age of Empires if I have a mouse. This is a whole other. I'm literally bringing desktop gaming with me on the go, whereas. I, it remains to be seen how many compromises are on this thing. If I have to bring the laptop with me anyways, why would I not just use that? Once again, I think the big question mark like that none of the reviewers could talk about yet because their software isn't finished is just how many games it can play or how many games it can play without issue. And I guess once that, we like definitively know that, I, I think you can start drawing stronger conclusions on the Steam Deck because... As it stands right now, the reviews didn't change my opinion of it mm -hmm. much one way or the other. Aside from, I, I don't. I guess we can come off as overly negative towards it because I do think it's overall. It seems to be a high uh, it, it quality seems to be piece a high of tech. Quality, I agree. Yeah, it seems to be a high quality piece of tech that, from everything, all, all of the people that were given access to it, said good things about it objectively. So, I, I think like the main thing gripe we have. Not gripe even. The main thing we have with the Steam Deck is that it might serve a s more niche or smaller market than a lot of the popular discussion of it, it uh, says. Like, I, it just might not really serve that many people or be useful to that many people. To the people that it's useful for, you're getting a high-quality item, but it's just... I don't see the reason to buy it over a laptop in a lot of situations. Unless, if it has a really good access to, like, the Steam library of games, some people will definitely want it, and I think it'll probably get good reviews. Uh, if that games list is relatively limited, I think there's almost no reason to get it for most people, though. Yeah, and I, I guess I do want to say that, because I do think... I don't. I don't. I haven't seen many people, almost anyone, complain about it. But I would understand if some people thought we were too critical of the Steam Deck. But I, I think we just need to be honest about of why we might be extra critical, and that's that it depends on what stage of your life you're in. You know, I'm not in the stage of my life where people, like where I was a, a teenager or younger, where oftentimes people were driving me around or I'd ride the bus. Or I was on airplanes a lot, flying back from college or event. Well, eventually I just drove because I went to Michigan Tech and trying to fly out of there in the winter yeah. was a nightmare. But, you know, there are still, you know, going on family vacations, having hours to kill where you're not needed. I'm needed if I'm traveling now. I'm essential to the train moving forward at this point, at this stage in my life. And also, as I've gotten older, I have less free time. And so that free time to me is only worth spending on a leisure activity that maximizes the fun of it, right? Like, you know, I, me and you had PlayStation Vitas, and that was great. But at this point, it's like, you know, I don't want a low-resolution compromised controller. I want to plug in a full 
Xbox, PS5 controller, or, or just pull out a mouse and use the keyboard on the laptop with a 4K screen. I'll pay extra to just have the full desktop experience or what I think is close enough, which I have a 2060 of a 1650 GDDR6. You know, yours is strong enough to play basically every game at 1080p high 60. Mine is good enough to play everything at about 1440p 60 high. You know, that to me close enough that I have the full experience on the go and I understand I can't hold that easily while I'm on an airplane necessarily or whatever but it's like yeah but I'm not going to bother to game unless I'm getting the full experience anyways yeah and I think the library of games you have access to even if the software for um, they're using is fine uh, Proton and such Proton yeah yeah. Uh, I I think uh, you're inherently limited to what you can play because I don't think this is going to be playing AAA games, or I don't think this is going to be playing many AAA games from this year, even if you're willing to compromise frame rate to, like, below 30 FPS on average. Which Uh, I'm not. I don't want to play it then. Yeah, so I I just think you're kind of limited to stuff, to indie games and things that... Some AAA games that were made recently and AAA games... And then older AAA games is what I think you're kind of limited to on this uh, device, mm-hmm. which that might be fine. That might be good enough for some people like, oh, I'm just traveling for a weekend or something and I, or I like to play an indie game or whatever for 30 minutes a day. It would be fine, but I just don't think this is a device to play new games on at all, <laughs> which again, you know. For me, it's like I'm always going to have my laptop with me in case I have to do an emergency podcast or a video on the go, in case I need to type something up, respond with a work email. I'm always going to have the laptop with me. So for me, a portable device needs to be so portable that it's it, it, its ease of use while moving justifies having a second device, and its size is easy enough to throw in without feeling like I'm carrying two laptops. That is a valid point, and I stand by it. But again... I emphasize that is my perspective in the stage of my life I'm in and how I live my life. And so if you're someone that wanted a portable gaming device, I don't think you really do beat this for the performance and price compared to the Switch or the other Windows devices. And the fact that you can get a, you know, that SD cards are now as fast as about SATA SSDs and you can get one of those for a reasonable price and pop it in to get an extra terabyte of storage. I do think that the worry that this wasn't good for the people that want a device like this is gone because it yeah, seems true. high quality. And so don't take my apprehension as meaning that you should be. If this is something you've been dreaming about and you're sure you would use it, like you're someone that games on a Switch all the time and games on a Switch without using the kickstand and using it basically like a laptop anyways, then you'll probably love this device. And I think I, I could see why this would be really successful. And again, I hope it is because I want this to grow. I want more competition. And I especially want Linux to emerge as a viable gaming operating system so Microsoft, again, has competition. Yes, which is always better. <laughs> Cade writes in, Tom, this is more of a die shrink question, but do you think that Valve is making any money on the Steam Deck? Well, I think it is conductive to the conversation here today, Cade. He says, given its larger size compared to another handheld such as the Switch, not to mention the fact that its APU is actually based on a modern node. Yeah, I think the Switch is like based on 20 nanometer or something. 
He says, the shipping and raw materials cost of the Steam Deck made me struggle to believe Valve is making much money, if any at all, on the Steam Deck at $400 base model. Is Valve simply expecting to recoup the money they may lose on each unit with digital game sales in a similar fashion to Microsoft and Sony? Is it possible that because the Van Gogh APU was originally designed for another purpose, as you've alluded to in the past, that Valve was able to get a comparatively good price on the APUs to help them better reach their desired price point? So, two things. Number one, I actually wouldn't underestimate that a a calculation for having low margins on this device might be that this makes you want to buy Steam games. I think I need to emphasize that. It's not just about that they will get digital sales on this device. It's that, and I've seen a lot of people say this, and I might even, I even say it, you know, the fact that if I have to play a game on Game Pass, I can't play it easily on the Steam Deck, but if I pay the money on Steam, that means I own it on Steam, can mm-hmm. use Steam software, and if I ever get a Steam Deck, I can use it. That's a real calculation that they're thinking of, not just to make the money on the Steam Deck's software sales, but to make people want to keep buying games on Steam for other uses. So I think that is a reason they would accept lower margins. Having said that, I don't think it would be hard to profit at $400. I just don't think it's a huge profit margin. I think people underestimate the absurd margins on that fucking Switch. That Switch (laughs) has such ridiculous margins, guys. It's insane, but people keep buying it, so why would they lower the price? Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if the $400 one was somewhat low margin, but then you have to look at the $650 one, which there's some bells and whistles added onto it, and then it has the 512 gigabyte SSD. I, I bet that doesn't really cost that much more for them to make, and they're mm-hmm. charging $250 more for it. Maybe it costs $100 more for them to make, but that's still <laughs> that's still a lot more money for them. Yeah. Yeah, there, there's no doubt that there is something always there where when they have the cheaper model, have the smaller storage, that's that small. It's to make the higher storage model look like a good value, even though it doesn't cost them probably more than 30 bucks more to put that in there. Yeah, because I just wanted to check prices just because I don't even remember anymore. But yeah, you can get 512 gigabyte SSDs, NVMe SSDs now for less than 80 bucks and, you know. Mm-hmm. This is, I'm sure, a bulk purchase deal. I'm not. I don't think they're just going on to Newegg and <laughs> buying a NVMe drives. No, I, I do not think so. Um, but yeah. So, what else would I? What What else can I say about that? Uh, it's just there's definitely a calculus there. I think you know that they're willing to accept lower margins to get into this market to give Steam games you buy more value across multiple devices and for those digital sales they're getting. But at the same time. Mm, I think they're making money on it, actually. I, I, I mean, it, look, it's priced about what a cheap laptop is. This has a cheap, tiny APU and a small battery and a cheap screen. I know it's nicer than some other screens, but it is a very cheap screen, guys. So, no, I actually I, I actually think that the thing that costs them the most is just the build quality of the chassis. Yeah, definitely. And I do just have to say, I think this is a different like va- uh, calculation than, like, uh, the Switch, the PS, or Switch is profiting, but they could have s- sell that at a loss, like a similar business model that Sony and Xbox do, because all of their sales are internal, pretty much. <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh, it's a little different of a calculus than like the PS5 or Xbox, uh, at, where the consoles are oftentimes a loss leader, because there's less that they directly make off of the uh, Steam Deck, I think. I, I mean, there's less uh, 
that they indirectly make off the Steam Deck, I, I think, by like ha- making you buy into a platform like you are with the Xbox or the PlayStation. Mm-hmm. This piece of content is brought to you by Vite Ramen. For 2022, give yourself the gift of an easy-to-make-at-home meal that's healthy, reasonably priced, and above all else, actually tasty so that you actually do eat a healthy meal. I eat it all the time and it really tastes fantastic. It's so easy to either eat a packet by itself as a lunch or you can put a couple of eggs in there while it's boiling and well, you can then have a hearty meal at the end of the day. Click the link in the description and use the offer code Broken Silicon to save 10% off a special bundle just for Moore's Law Z fans that includes spoon, chopsticks, and more. This is a great deal for you and it really does help the channel tremendously. Seriously, I eat it. It's good. They've been supporting Moore's Law is dead for months, and you buying their products supports me. And you know what? You really should try to if you want a healthy and tasty snack to start out this year and maybe get rid of some of that holiday weight. Buy Vite Ramen today. All right. Speaking of losing money on a product, a really stretch trying to that make a, a, is a, is a pretty much a fail. But much like this graphics card seems to be a fail. See there, there I can just no, there, have an easy tie-in, Dan. I just screw up the transition and then say, but like me screwing up that transition, it seems NVIDIA is screwing up this next product with story number two. 3090 Ti is still vaporware, is what I named this story. And I have a little write-up. Oh, how the 3090 Ti saga continues. A couple weeks ago, Moore's Law is dead leaked that the 3090 Ti doesn't just have yield issues or, in quotes, as other people reported, BIOS issues. The entire PCB may need to be redesigned. In short, number one, NVIDIA doesn't have as many yields able to sustain high clock speeds at an absurd 450-watt TDP as they thought they would, according to my sources. That means they will either have a comically small amount of samples for sale or they will need to use more voltage on the average card. If they need more voltage, that means the PCBs from most AIBs may require a complete PCB redesign and or a higher than 450 watt TDP. And in fact, Moore's Law's dead has been tipped off that the EVGA Kingpin model of the 3090 Ti that has two 12 pins capable of sustaining 1,275 watts is specifically highlighted as a card that may be one of the few 3090 Ti models ready anytime soon, maybe in April, but that is because it is so over-engineered it doesn't need a redesign. Finally, the last thing I will say is the BIOS issues, again in quotes, doesn't make sense at this point. BIOS issues can be solved. They aren't unpredictable. They're not unknown unknowns. If it was just a BIOS issue, NVIDIA would still roughly know the specs and be able to confirm, therefore, a release date, which they said they were going to in January, but they haven't confirmed it. All of this then points to something much bigger than BIOS issues being the culprit, at least in Moore's Law's Dead's opinion. And again, that's why I go back to saying I stand by my sources that say it's having yield issues and might need a full PCB redesign. I mean, (laughs) it makes sense. And to some extent, they don't really have any incentive to say anything about this right now. They got their story out and... To me, it almost just feels like this is just going to try to silently be canceled or they're just going to uh, put a few thousand on the market or something before uh, Lovelace uh, comes out. Because I don't know how they 
market this thing if it's coming out in April. Yeah, and that's the thing I asked one of my sources, like, you know, but isn't it weird they haven't said literally anything, you know, when I was really digging into it? And he goes, well, what are we going to say? We fucked up? Because that's really all NVIDIA yeah. has to say about the 3090 Ti at this point. And I agree. I mean, from where I'm sitting, I feel like in April there might be the Kingpin and a couple other models come out and do the rounds trying to show something 10 or percent or more stronger than a 3090 while using absurd amounts more energy so they can try to push a few of the reviewers to using the 3090 ti kingpin as the new benchmark card for cpu reviews coming mm -hmm. up but like the fight like the 5800 x3d and you know soon raptor lake in quarter threes and four possibly in quarter three actually from what it sounds like actually recently um you know all of those things you know because lovelace probably won't be let ready by then but that's really all this card is for. It, it's As far as I am concerned, there isn't really any availability expected. And all of my sources have said that they've been told things like, it's like getting a, a Veyron. <laughs> You're not going to see it <laughs> at every VW dealership or something, at every mm -hmm. Porsche or Bugatti dealership. That This is something that will be very rare to see. Yeah, and I just think their initial announcement of that really speaks to it where they just showed you a, like I, I just remember in that press conference they it almost seems like they weren't even sure what to show you so they just like kept cutting to a 3090 and then cutting back to the guy holding it and cutting back into a zoom shot on it because there's nothing to say about the 3090 ti like as an actual product it's just this vague thing that we know apparently exists even though as it seems that NVIDIA doesn't even know what the 3090 Ti is. And, and again, just to be clear, let me click this. And yeah, there is no page for the 3090 Ti on their website, guys. Still, they announced it over a month ago. What's going on? That is weird. There should at least be a page on the website. Yeah, it's undeniable that there isn't some <laughs> some major issue with the 3090 Ti that is preventing them from even doing like some type of paper launch of it because what we have right now is a paper paper launch I guess mm, a paper launch a, a paper announcement one might say <laughs> yes. not even a paper launch Daniel Dewar writes him hi Tom when we talk about 1000 watt graphics cards and the operating costs they bring it's starting to get hard to compare power usage to other equipment I use at my house uh, can we change convention and start referring to GPUs or their respective horsepower ratings? Like one kilowatt hopper would be a 1.3 horsepower GPU. I would love to start to compare the power of my weed whacker and lawnmowers to my gaming hardware. <laughs> Let's do it, man. It's just hilarious, though. I had to read that goofy comment here because, I mean, that's where we're getting. Yeah. Uh the uh the all-new honda grom powered by 18 3090 ti's yeah exactly well would that be i don't think be... that would be enough no anyways though let us move on to a card that might have enough to take the crown story number three dan's face is just so disappointed with that tying again um <laughs> RX 6950 XT specs are all but confirmed. And here's my write-up. Rumors have been swirling around of an RDNA 2 refresh for quite some time. And yours truly just 100% confirmed a few things in a series of tweets and in part of a recent ARC video. In summary, the RX 6X50, as they're often referred to cards, are still based on 7 nanometer. 
not 6 nanometer. And 18 gigabit per second memory is the minimum one should expect. That is soon to be low-end speeds, according to Moore's Law's dead sources. And again, guys, there's a reason the 6500 XD has 18 gigabit per second memory. Yes, it's a last-minute overclock, but also it costs about the same as... 14 gigabit at this point. In fact, one source told me that they practically don't even make the 14 anymore. It's all just underclocked mm. 18 that are shipped, you know, so or like barely didn't meet 18 specification. So at this point, I think we can expect these to have at least 18 gigabit. I was told to be more likely one gets like 20 gigabit per second than 16 for any of these refreshed cards. And we should expect RDNA 3 to probably have some crazy clock speeds. But um, moving on, number three about this, though. And the RX 6950 XT is confirmed and likely to be the first one to launch of these refreshes against the arguably fake 3090 Ti. After the 6950 XT, which Graymon has tweeted should have at least 2.5 gigahertz clock speeds. Technically, I can't confirm the other ones are coming out, and I have heard references to a 6650 XT, a 6750 XT. I think that one specifically makes a lot of sense to like try to make the 6700 XT at least 10% stronger, so it's almost a 3070 Ti to take on ARC. And then also, I know there's a 6850 XT that's been thrown around, but I'm not so sure about that one coming out. None of these are technically 100% confirmed by me, although all of these cards are being considered by AMD. And uh, the other thing I will say is that I suspect there will be a big drop or leak of information at some point in the next few days. I think most people know most things. And so don't be surprised if someone else leaks more information about this before this podcast even finishes being <laughs> edited is all I'm saying. You know, there's a chance I might do a last minute edit if that happens. But I think for the most part, I'll say, guys, the 6950 XT is confirmed based on the clock speeds I'm seeing. It'll be 10% better than the 6900 XT and everything else can be launched whenever AMD wants to launch them. But no, we should expect all of these to launch at the same time. Uh, I mean, you know, I think we've talked about the, the, the X 50 things, uh, cards a lot at this point. Mm. It, I, I don't think there's too much more to be said other than I think the fact that 18 gigabit per second kind of being the standard now uh makes sense why they would push to release these even if they can still keep making their other stuff where like as a spot opens up in the market there's more money to be made sometimes by just putting out a new model and you know these cards have been out for over a year they're getting mm -hmm. a little long in the tooth something new needs to come out <laughs> i i mean and it just makes sense to have out if you can Right. Yeah. I think a lot of times people keep thinking, well, why does this make sense? How will this be priced? It's like, how do you, I mean, I don't know. How do you even know they'll have an MSRP? The fact is, yields are really good. They probably never even needed an RX 6800, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, they might as well move to overclock 6900 XTs, and then they probably only have yields after that just for normal 6800 XTs. They have faster RAM to put on all of them. I just think it's common sense that you do this once availability starts improving so that you have better cards out once pricing starts mattering again and you're competing with Alchemist. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> and once again, having uh, to talk about Alchemist, having cards out that come out around Alchemist just makes sense to dampen <laughs> the, uh, the press that Alchemist gets. Mm -hmm. Where like, oh, we have these cards that uh came out uh, that are coming out that are competing with amd's previous generation now now here's our little mid-gen refresh that beats all of these to some extent 
Yeah, and in fact, then let's let's move on to what was going to be a different story there, Dan. Let's let's rearrange the order here because I, I think again, if you think about, I, I suspect a lot of people are going to start leaking stuff that's like, oh, you guys didn't know this card was launching. This it's like, no, I think anyone could have guessed the six nine fifty XT launches first because the thirty ninety Ti was supposed to come out first, and that any other cards are launched to fight Alchemist, right? And well, if, and I just think really, if it's possible to releasing your flagship card first just makes the most sense where it was pretty clear previously amd was a little less coherent with their launches because i think they were just putting out what they could you know oh yeah and and so yeah but so yeah so any 6750 xt 6650 xt which is again adding 10 percent performance to the full dies that are already they still haven't launched a 6700 non-xt guys they don't need to the yields are great you know this is to head off arc which leads us then into story number four or, Moore's Law Z confirms Intel Arc is effectively launching quarter two among a flurry of cooler leaks. Here is a write-up. Finally, people besides Moore's Law's dead are leaking the Intel cooler Tom had pictures of a year ago. What does this mean? Well, that Arc is likely a couple months away if you go back and look at when RDNA 2 cooler leaks were happening all over mm-hmm. the place, which places it when... In quarter two. That's right. The cooler leaks are not a coincidence. Arc is coming, and that is coming in quarter two, effectively like we have been hinting since late 2021. In summary, any quarter one launch from Alchemist is unlikely to have substantial volume. There almost assuredly all be paper launches that happen then. Also, low-end Alchemist should launch by the end of April for laptop, with maybe some of the high-end ARC dies launching in laptop at the very end of April as well. And thus, late April through June is when we can be confident there will be real launches for Alchemist cards on desktop, with multiple sources stating that PAX East is a possible unveiling date a weekish before the desktop launch. So, the culprit for the delay from quarter one, Intel wants their drivers and software to be fully competitive and reliable on release, and they are willing to wait for it. And if you think about it, that makes sense. What's the worst case scenario of delaying a graphics card a couple months? You'll just have a larger launch of volume on day one, which matters in this market right now in drivers with less things to complain about. And reviewers are very critical right now. So, I mean, I don't know, Dan, What I, I think it's... We've been dancing around Alchemist being quarter two, basically me and you saying mostly quarter two, probably quarter two. Now I'm just saying quarter two. I mean, what do you think about that? Well, we own, oh, we have a month and a half, I guess, in quarter one still. I, maybe there will be a paper launch, but it, it's just feeling less and less likely that it would be quarter one to begin with. Intel was never super like firm on their thing. They just had that, their release dates, they kind of just had that press thing to say. Hey, I know you guys have been talking about this for two years now. Yep. We're putting out discrete graphics cards. Woohoo. Um, and I think more than anything, especially in the, the way the market currently is, that uh, Intel ha- has a, is in a really good position to capitalize off of how bad AMD and NVIDIA are being perceived right now. So if they could launch in high volume with like their BIOS working, BIOS is working well and you know, good drop. I mean, not BIOS. Their drivers working well with uh, all of their competitive f- features against like FSR and DLSS working, mm-hmm. and with decent ray tracing, they could really make a giant splash if they were all of their features were like at least competitive with like AMD's ray tracing or and FSR. Like, I, I think they could make a gigantic splash if uh, 
they were truly competitive in every way and their drivers didn't suck because if it, they came out with bad driver support it would be like well this is good i guess it's cheaper or whatever it's at a competitive pricing it's high volume but also the drivers kind of suck which is a criticism i think that companies have a really hard time getting away from you know yeah i mean i i would say Again, and we have to be careful how we discuss this because it's like AMD unfortunately did have better drivers around RDNA1's launch. <laughs> um, but I, I, I would say that, yeah, it still haunts AMD to this day that they are supposedly have worse drivers than NVIDIA, which for a while there, this was provably wrong. But because they did a couple times and it was really bad and they did a bad job of handling the messaging, people still just say AMD is bad drivers. And I think Intel both doesn't want that to happen. And again, you know, they have a ton of people writing these drivers. They're a huge company with a ton of resources. Giving them two extra months, from what I've heard, the one thing they weren't sure they'd have is a good recording app like Relive or Shadowplay. Mm -hmm. And give them a, two, a couple extra months to launch a graphics card. Yeah, maybe they can write an app that's out by then. Actually, you know, given how much people talk about that, even though, once again, I don't know how important of a feature that really is to most people. It's very lack, important for me, to be fair, but I'm not the average that's guy. That's true. But, like, you know, lacking a feature is la <laughs> lacking a feature. And if Intel can be in a position where they're not lacking features, I think they're, they will be much better received uh, than they would be otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I guess I'm trying to think if there's really anything else to say about this. I don't know. Honestly, not not really. I mean, I'm sure something will launch in March as a paper launch so they can claim that it launched on time. But as far as I or, can tell, it's really not until May that you should. It, it, it depends how you phrase the question. If someone puts a gun to your head and you're like, if you get the you you what's the earliest month you would even consider risking your life on? Yes, I could see some launches in April, but I wouldn't risk my life until April. I mean, I mean, May, when's their May. next when's their next investor call? Do you remember? Oh, I don't know. No. Okay. I mean, I would assume they're probably going to want to have something by then, <laughs> even if it's a paper launch. It's a good question, though. Let me see here. Oh, there's one on the 17th, so I don't know. <laughs> that's not that's too close, guys. <laughs> yeah, okay. But I maybe think there was another that. Intel. There, I know there's another Intel day they're having sometime around PAX as well, a little before it, that they'll probably want to at least unveil some stuff as, too. But, um, anyways, let us move on to another graphics card launch. Story number five: AMD RDNA 3 confirmed to be a hybrid of five nanometer and six nanometer nodes. And quoting here from video cards with a little bit of editing by me, earlier this week, AMD CEO made her first comments this year on the RDNA 3 consumer graphics architecture. The company is now set to launch the first Navi 3X GPUs by the end of this year, alongside its new Zen 4 Raphael CPUs. AMD had not yet confirmed the count. Uh, fabrication nodes for these GPUs. Although most rumors seem to suggest a hybrid of 5 and 6 nanometer nodes, it seems that those rumors have finally been confirmed by an AMD employee who listed these new GPUs on the LinkedIn, his LinkedIn profile. Not only does he list each of the Navi 3X GPUs, but also the nodes each of them use. According to this profile post, Navi 31 and 32 are to utilize 6 nanometer and 5 nanometer nodes. Well, Navi 33 is supposedly a monolithic 
6 nanometer card. This indirectly confirms the rumors that Navi 33 will be the only monolithic GPU in the series. And this does line up with some other leaks I've been seeing mm -hmm. on Twitter recently and some things I've been told as well. So there you go, Dan. What do you think? I think we've uh, for a while guessed at least that uh, 31 would be uh, multi an MCM uh, mm -hmm. design. And I guess this just confirms that they're really going for it with... Uh, 32 also being MCM as well. I think the uh, existence of, what is it, MI200 kind of, at least to me, confirmed that the next line of RDNA cards would also be MCM. But the only other alternative explanation I can think of, which I think you've we've discussed this, could be that... No, that doesn't really make sense. Is That for some reason, maybe it, they were... 31 and 32 were being designed on both 6 and 5 nanometer, but... That's all I could think of as an alternate explanation. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. I usually only follow the top cards and then mm -hmm. some of the bottom ones. I rarely care to say everything about everything in the lineup. I mean, even just look at my arc leaks, guys. I just I basically mostly follow it on the top one. And then the 128 execution unit mono, which as luck would have it, is most of what they're doing is just two dies. But I, I feel like if you know the top and you know the bottom, you can guess the middle, and that's not that important. <laughs> But uh, yeah. that does mean that there's a bit of a blind spot there for me. That is a bit surprising that it seems like there's two different types of MCM dies that they're doing, as far as I can tell, some mega dual GPU, but then also another dual MCM with an IO controller as well. For some reason, I suspected that, that what they would do is just one big dual die, then one of the dies can be used by itself without an IO controller, and then they'd have some six nanometer. Uh, monolithic card which makes a lot of sense to do that but it seems like yeah they're it seems like this pretty much confirms the rumors that they're going with a just a shit ton more fp32 cores for the very top dual mcm card yeah and it also i it, it also confirms that the uh layout will be like you said like not two identical dies but like an io and uh not an io and then another die uh with that Mm -hmm. I guess uh, the only other thing I have to say about this is, yeah, I mean, look, I'm going to have more RDNA 3 leaks coming. Although, I, I God, I got to say, again, I basically confirmed the rough performance, launch date, pricing, power consumption. I don't know why you need more for making your purchasing decision than what I've said. And I try to stay away from a lot of the specific specs until we're much closer to launch because I... I just think it's an easy mistake to overly read into specs and think you know everything because of previous architectures. I mean, you're you're correct. You can't just... I mean, obviously, every architecture is, to an extent, based off of the previous architecture, but I don't think you can just... You can just infinitely extrapolate to what, to what that means. Like, this could be a bigger redesign than we think it is. You never know until they actually unveil it or more leaks closer to what's unveiling come out because as it stands right now i don't think uh, until we're closer to launch i don't think leaks will be that informative on what rdna3 is mm -hmm. besides just kind of adding more to what we basically already know and it's going to roughly double performance it's going to use probably 400 watts at least for the top card and yeah. it's going to be pretty expensive but again it's you know insane performance so <laughs> uh, the only yeah the, the, the last thing i will add about this is the more I talk to some sources and probe around, the more this seems like an MCM Ampere situation. Like, it, there's always latency 
right, that you just add by going MCM. Mm-hmm. How so? I don't know what this is going to do if you wanted like 480 hertz gaming and 1080p. I doubt it's going to be as much of a performance increase as you'd think. Where and I think that's where a lot of people would go no shit. But I would say yeah, but RDNA two like way up 1440p and 1080p gaming performance. <laughs> it's scaling in all resolutions was impressive. It wasn't like AMP yeah. or where you. It's not fair to say this, but it does look its best in 4K. <laughs> you know. I think this will look its best in 4K. I think this is going to be an architecture where that roughly doubling or a little above doubling performance happens at super high resolutions. It's just going to have a ton of infinity cache. I mean, based on what I'm told, probably 512 megabytes, which I think I already said somewhere in a previous video like last year. But, you know, yeah, yeah, that'll massively up 4k performance if my understanding of infinity cache is yeah. correct <laughs> right it'll, it'll massively increase it but also i would say if it's 512 megabytes keep in mind guys that doesn't mean it's just like a linear four times the cache effective boost that you got it's also to mitigate the latency but if you have a ton mm-hmm. of latency and you're making an expensive graphics card you can probably guess people are going to use this for 4k or higher so what do you do probably pack in a ton of fp32 cores like ampere <laughs> did because you're never going to get over the fact that that higher latency somewhat limits what you can do at ultra high frame rates in 1080p but it as long as they're bogged down you can find ways to say this thing is twice as strong as the previous generation yeah, and as it stands, I don't think there's really a reason to. It, I, I don't think there's a reason to emphasize 1080p performance over 4K performance because, yeah, I think there is some reason. Maybe someone would get the top die if they're at, for 1080p gaming if they're like an esports person. But at a certain point, like, what's what can you get for a monitor? Can you get like a 360 hertz monitor? Do 480 hertz exist? I, yeah, I, they I do. Guess, I guess maybe for like. Tw- a, a couple hundred people that might be good. <laughs> but if that's what you're going to do, and I understand we're now getting to 4K 240 hertz monitors by the time this comes out. Okay, yeah. fine. Sure. But most people at high resolutions are probably in 1440p or 1080p. And if you think about Navi 33, yeah, but that's going to be monolithic. So the latency issues are gone. That's going to be on mm-hmm. 6 nanometer. What can they probably do with that? I don't know. I don't remember what the exact specs I had. I've been told that it is, but it's like, I don't know if I was AMD. I'd probably just make it like a 400 millimeter squared because it's a super mature node, right? Yeah, that would be my yeah 400 millimeter yeah. squared on six nanometer. So what can I do with that? I don't know. 64 compute units at three gigger, uh, like yeah, almost three gigahertz. <laughs> yeah, maybe that'll do your 1080p 360 hertz just fine, and you don't need the MCM design anyways. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to a question here from Rob Durka. Hey, Tom and Dan. First of all, I just joined the Patreon as a bit of a thank you for keeping me ahead of the market in computer hardware. Your reliable info has been incredibly useful to me as an investor in this space. Uh, Thank you. Remember, technically, this isn't financial advice. (laughs) He goes on. My question is regarding Intel. They've been talking a big game, but I still question how they will execute in the future in discrete graphics cards, CPUs, and eventually having cutting edge fabs again. Do you see Intel truly transitioning back into a leadership role in manufacturing? How soon is DG2 going to be the savior that we all need? Well, yes, two different questions. First of all, is DG2 going to be the savior we all need? I mean, look, I, I know they're making a ton of cards. We're going to have to wait for launch day. Yeah, I, I, all I'll say is I think that remains to be seen. I think Intel in particular has an incentive to do that uh, as a new entrant into the market. But 
maybe they won't re- release their cards at competitive prices. Maybe their cards will drift above MSRP just like everything else does. You and know? I, I would say that just don't miss what matters. Data Center and Intel's going to be behind for a few mm-hmm. years still, guys. So is GG2 going to be the savior we need? Maybe, but we won't actually even know at launch day. We need to wait. Like, if it comes out even at high volume, it doesn't fix the market overnight. Like, it's going to be at least yeah. months before that volume is bought up, people prove it's reliable, and we see that force other prices down. So that remains to be seen. In terms of your question, do you see them truly transitioning back into a leadership role in manufacturing? Meaning, do I think they're going to leapfrog TSMC and Node? No. I think they might tie them in four years. Yeah, and I think they're going to be releasing... Intel's at least going to be releasing products that are competitive with uh, TSMC manufactured products, but TSMC is just so far ahead right now, at least when it comes to their node, that that's going to be a while before they just catch back up to them again. And what does that even mean to be a leader in manufacturing as well? Do they have a node that's 5% better than TSMC? Because we're going to be splitting hairs if Intel does take the crown. And if it's a 5% mm-hmm. lead, is it really a lead? I, I think four years m- minimum. And I, even then it's like, eh. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I, I don't see it soon, but yeah. I do see it being less of an issue over time. All right. Let us move on then to story number six. Google to drop Stadia cloud gaming service reportedly deprioritized. I'm quoting here from Data Center Knowledge, who's you know doing their summary of what Business Insider said. So Google, which sought to enter the high-growth video games market long dominated by hardware-centric platforms, may be calling its quits on its fledgling cloud gaming service, Stadia. Instead, the company is looking to potentially license a proprietary game streaming technology to other companies, which transmits games in high definition with low latency, according to the insider. The move to selling the underlying cloud tech has seen Stadia deprioritize within Intel, I mean within Google, with the company now less interested in securing licenses for AAA third-party titles. Which Did they secure any? I mean, what the heck? Because the new white-label streaming service will be called Google Stream. With Google has spoken with both exercise bike maker Peloton and Bungie, the developer behind the popular shooter game Destiny, right? So with it saying that they would use their stream service with Peloton for their exercise bike games, and it, all of this really seems to point to, if this is true from Business Insider, that Google is looking to make its streaming tech more general purpose and more of a thing for other things because they, they're just not going to be a successful console competitor anytime soon yeah. um and the and the end of it goes insider said the largest problem for stadia was player retention with the service falling short of its goal by 25 percent stadia expected to sign up 1 million monthly active users by the end of 2020 which has failed to do so i thought this was worth bringing up because this was a challenge to gaming hardware you know like this is news if this happens yeah, and I think it just speaks to the fact that streaming really just isn't there yet as I think a as a primary way to play a video game streaming just isn't there yet. I think uh, Google was the first one that thought that they could do it. And based on what I've heard, Xcloud is pretty decent, I think. <laughs> well, PS- so so I think I think PS Now with for Gaikai was the first one to think they could do it, but then they forgot they had it. Yeah, and most people that have it are like, I guess it works, but 
some people complain about latency, some people mm. don't. With it PS seems now, to be falling behind the competition at this point. But I, I just don't think, as far as I know with any service, I, I, I would trust streaming as my primary way to play video games. It would be a supplementary thing that I might get if I feel I needed it, which I personally don't. But Stadia was, I think, like the first one to say, well, this is the primary way you're going to play games is through st- streaming. And that's just not there yet. I don't know when it will be there. I, I'm less optimistic about streaming, or we're less optimistic about streaming than I think some people seem to be because there is just the fact that latency is an unavoidable product of streaming, <laughs> you know? And it and, always will be. It's physics. Yes, if you have a if you have a, a a wire that can transmit data at the speed of light, if you're communicating with someone from the other side of the earth, there's a noticeable delay in uh there's a noticeable delay. Now maybe that data center instead is I don't know 600 miles away or something or 200 miles away. Okay, it's going to reduce latency a little bit, but there's the data transmission isn't perfect like a direct light speed line so there's just always going to be latency that you cannot get rid of unless our infrastructure gets way better than it is right now and even if it was i think there would still be issues with it yeah and and this reminds me of the broken cell kind of did with uh john petty john petty research where Mm -hmm. he was like no i think game streaming is coming just like netflix and i remember going um I don't think so. And it's because whatever you're doing to make streaming cheaper, I suspect the $400 box that you can buy a console is always going to be getting better for the same price as well. And as far as I can tell, what is GeForce now up to 4K 60 or something with tons of latency and most of the packages are really closer to 1080p 60. Okay, so I have to pay a monthly fee to game worse than a $400 console. Why would I do that? That's always going to yeah. be true, in my opinion. Always. Your streaming tech gets better. The $400 box gets better. And now you don't have latency issues. Unless you can have enough data centers distributed. Like, that's the problem. They would need to be distributed throughout, like, every town. Or at a minimum, I think any every region would need some of these data centers. And at a certain point, it's like, well, how much are you going to invest in this infrastructure to make it work? Um, it's almost like you have to bring a console to everyone's house to remove the latency issue, isn't it, guys? Yeah, and Google Stadia, it's just, well, this is our entire platform is streaming, and it never seemed to work that great as far as I can tell. So, you know, instead of focusing on it as a platform, Google has a bunch of computers that they need to do something with. So might as well do... Uh, stream uh, Peloton games on it or something. It <laughs> yeah. makes sense. Which, you know, and it's not to say I think game streaming does not have a future. I do. I just don't see it making other things obsolete. I see it expanding the market. I think it's going to be an excellent use for that, like, again, what they initially showed. Like, they're like, we may even have a free version of Stadia that's like 720p, 60 hertz. You can just play an old Assassin's Creed literally for free, and we can have dynamic ads that appear. If you're in, or like you know, if you're in, if you're in a new Watch Dogs, 
And that was being mm-hmm. streamed. You could have dynamic ads appear, live ad placement on the billboards you're walking past. And it's like, yeah, and that makes it so you don't need to even charge them to play this game in 720p. And you know who's playing this game in 720p? Someone who wasn't going to buy the game anyways. This is expanding the market. But I just don't see it replacing consoles or PC gaming. Yeah. <laughs> I stand by it. All right. Let us move on then to story number seven. NVIDIA acquisition of ARM collapses. UK company to seek an IPO instead. Quoting from Tech Power Up, NVIDIA's long-awaited acquisition of ARM LTD is collapsing, confirmed the Financial Times and Reuters. According to the latest information, the deal is not happening, and the previously agreed to terms are no longer valid. As we now know, NVIDIA will have to pay SoftBank a break-free bill of $1.25 billion for the failure, which was the deal that the two settled on if it fails. NVIDIA has originally planned to purchase ARM for $40 billion, However, the regulators from the UK EU have been blocking the deal from happening on the terms that would hurt competition and block innovation. What is next for ARM LTD? Well, and also the US tech power up, by the way. Hello. Yeah. That is was the final nail. And as far as I'm aware, that China was going to jump on the bag wagon if all three of these areas didn't get at it too. But continuing, what is next for the ARM LTD? Well, it's trying to go public and list itself on one of the world's biggest stock exchanges, either domestically or overseas in the U.S. The IPO efforts of ARM are estimated to be worth around $80 billion, representing a double amount of what NVIDIA wanted to purchase the company for. Which, I mean, we, I don't know how much there is to say, but we had to have this as a story because we've been covering it for so long. And it's hilarious. This is like, I think the, an episode, what is it? This will come out like three weeks after the Richard Hogue one where we talked about it as well. What do you think, Dan? Yeah. Well, the fact that they're going public is, I what, now, how many times have we talked, said that this has failed? It's now like triple confirmed that it's not happening. And the fact that I guess they're trying to go public for $80 billion suggests that the original terms of the deal do not compute with the current value of the company at all. So just from that standpoint, it probably should fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is to say. I mean, it was announced. I think we all felt like it was going to be inevitable because, frankly, it just seems like companies kind of get away with whatever they do these days. <laughs> Honestly, I think it was half of it. And NVIDIA seems to as well, especially. Then you saw the EU step in, and I was like, ooh, 50-50. And then the U.S. stepped in, and I was like, yeah, 90% dead. And then as time went on, and Richard Hoag said this, honestly, he's like, the percentage it fails goes up exponentially with every week that passes that the U.S. does not back down from the investigation. And, you know, when I finally decided it's definitely dead is when I realized, because some people suggested this, like, this, to me, this would be like... To, for NVIDIA to defend this deal going through to the FTC, the FTC, they'll have to prove that they haven't been anti-competitive in the past. And the FTC will all of a sudden, in a public forum, start arguing why NVIDIA's always been anti-competitive. And why would you want that circus to pay legal bills for that to happen? And then what? Yeah. what it takes years, and then the EU stops its pause, jumps in, then the UK jumps in, then China jumps in. This deal was... was it always seemed like a long shot to a certain degree, but it's become so obviously not happening more and more as time went on. And I don't know. I, I don't have much else to say about it. NVIDIA still going to do fine. Um, Arm's fine. And I'm glad this didn't go through. Yeah. And it might signal a lot of monopolistic things not going through soon. But um, 
Today's video is brought to you by CDKoffer.com. Whether you're looking to get good deals on PlayStation, Microsoft Office Professional, or both Windows 10 and Windows 11 operating systems, CDKoffer.com has you covered. CDK is a long-term sponsor of Moore's Laws Dead, and that's because they have been consistently providing me and Moore's Laws Dead's fans with a service that I think PC gaming just needs reasonable operating system and Microsoft Word prices. We all have to use these products and we don't need to overpay for them if you use cdkeyoffer.com. And you know what? I know I will be using these products later this year for a new Raptor Lake or Zen 4 system most likely. And I will do so knowing that, well, they're all legitimate keys and they are going to be delivered to me quickly and promptly when I buy them. Don't waste any more money than you need to this year. Use the link in the description or on screen to go to cdkeyoffer.com and when you're there, whatever you decide to buy, make sure you use one of these offer codes. Broken Silicon gets you 25% off all Windows products and Dyson gets you 3% off everything else. And this really does help the channel. It helps you save money. Use these offer codes, use the link, go to cdkeyoffer.com today. All right, moving on to other shady things, let us get to story number eight. AMD pays for day one lower pricing. And so I just released the video uh, before we started recording this episode. What is it titled? AMD's fake day one MSRP paying AIVs to hide higher pricing. I don't have a write-up, but I'll summarize what's in it. Basically, for the 6500 XT launch and for some, uh, at least some of the other RDNA 2 launches, AMD has been paying some of their closest AIBs, which I'm not going to name names, but like which ones are closest to AMD guys, um, have been ba basically they'll ship a card that isn't profitable at the MSRP or that they don't want to sell at the MSRP and AMD pays them the difference for like half of the day one stock, which is different than what NVIDIA has been doing to be clear. This isn't like NVIDIA shipping 10 cards at MSRP and then the rest at $400, like the 3050. This is not that scummy to be clear. And it's funny, I saw some people in the Moore's Laws Discord go, hmm, from that title, I expected it to be even worse. And it's like, no, it's, it's not as bad as the things NVIDIA is doing. But at the end of the day, it is dishonest. And a thing that I added in, because I know you watched an early draft of the video, Dan, you helped on it a bit, like that I added, but that you didn't see, is, you know, at the end of the day, can we just say this to both AMD and NVIDIA? I understand why you're doing this. Prices are up, and also you can get away with higher pricing. But can we just stop with the smoke and mirrors? Enough. Yeah, I know. Just say it costs more. Uh, it's 250 then. Say it's a $250 card. NVIDIA, admit it. The 3050 isn't really at. Say the launch 3050 is $400, but prices will drop. We can take the truth. Because at a certain point, we're not going to trust anything you guys say anymore. And I guess I don't know if it would have done or helped anything with the current pricing. If it would have just been priced at 250 But I don't know. Maybe there's this hope that if they were just honest about the pricing and stop pulling this kind of crap, that... Maybe at some point it would kind of stabilize to something closer to the realistic, I mean, to the stated Which MSRP. Which they do think will happen. But it's kind but, of like NVIDIA launching the GA106 base 3050 with a completely fake availability and pricing first. They will have GA, and we're going to get to it in a second, That you know, in the wrap-up. 
they are launching GA107 3050s, and those mm-hmm. will be able to be at MSRP once pricing and shipping improves in the summer. But they wanted to pretend it was out now before ARC's out. Same with AMD. AMD lied less, but at the end of the day, they know that this won't be a sub $200 card until summer. But they think it will be, honestly. But they wanted it out now. Should they have just called it 250 I kind of think so. But I think so from a consumer-facing standpoint. From a evil demon on your shoulder arguing against the angel, I would say, you know, if I popped up on AMD's shoulder with devil horns on, I would say, hey, lying's only going to benefit you. Maybe you should have just pretended it's 150 actually. Yeah, and I just think that there's less and less of a... There's less and less tolerance of that in the community, and people are just, you know, like, has been the entire story of the 6500 XT. People are just getting progressively more angry about it where for really looking at it the 6500 xt held at least close ish to msrp compared to other cards for way longer even though i'm looking at them now and you can still get one model for 270 dollars but now it's largely unavailable and the other one is now up to 364 dollars so yeah this idea that it would increase in price but hold close to msrp now is true Yeah, it is. And it's holding close, but it isn't going to be at it. I, I just don't think there's almost a benefit to even pretending this anymore because people just seem to get mad now when a graphics card is launched. And it's like, oh, you're telling me it's $200. I know you're lying. Why are you telling me it's $200? When maybe the press would be better if they just didn't try to pull this type of crap anymore. You maybe. Know, it- I don't know. And this leads to a greater discussion. You know, I say this in the video as well, that I could have leaked this last week or next week, but I decided to do it now when I finally knew what I wanted to say about what's going on with this market. In in many ways, this leak, which again, as I say, is true. I had to talk about it. Frankly, if I'm critical of NVIDIA, it's not fair if I'm not critical of AMD. But I did use this leak to rope you guys in for maybe listening to my arguments on what might happen if MSRP goes away. And I know one thing you brought up, Dan, is at the end of the day, first of all, let's just say this. Benchmarks need to start being separated from reviews. The way that you do reviews has to be after a card's out, after you evaluate its availability, because there are four things to consider now. You know, price, performance, features, and availability. This is going to, in a world where graphics cards are a commodity like food that keeps getting bought up and everyone needs them because they're so useful for so many things, you can benchmark the cards and do a day one benchmarking saying this is how it performs. But the review over what's being worth buying over other things, reviewers need to start doing a separate video for the actual review because you can't give a good opinion of the card on day one until you know if it's actually available. Yeah, and, you know, the benchmarks, I, I, I don't think that much changes about, a, a lot of it changes with the review. I think the benchmarks, you just start calling it a benchmark and maybe your conclusion sections are slightly uh, truncated and moved to next week or a week and a half from now when you can better evaluate availability. And benchmarks are still incredibly useful for day one buyers because it's like they say, okay, this is how it performs. Is it worth buying it for the prices that it launched at if I can, you know, get access to it? And if it's not, they still won't buy it. So it still does provide like early purchasing decisions. It's just 
I, I don't think you can stamp a recommendation for a purchase recommendation right now until you know what availability is long term going to look like, which we just don't know that our long term availability and pricing is going to be. And then I would say to reviewers, there you go. I got two pieces of content instead of one now. Like this doesn't hurt you. And I think there's this assumption that if we don't do day one reviews, we won't. If we don't have our full review on day one, we'll get less views. Where's the evidence of this? I think you have day one benchmarks. That's it. And then, because I've been looking at some other tech channels of similar subscriber counts, and their reviews for graphics cards get like a fourth of what mine do. And my reviews come out months after the card's out. And it's because there's something unique about the—I'll say it. I'll toot my own horn here. There's something unique about the way I'm reviewing a graphics card. I sit around with it for like a month. I really compare it. I really use it. I really give my full opinion. It's not rushed. I've had time to look at how available it is and what I actually—did I actually feel like it was worth the money I spent? Or— if if you did spend that much and my views are fine you know compared to people of similar channel sizes much better actually for my reviews on average so then what is there to lose you know this is something i've heard that people at sacred symbols talking about like day one video game reviews or get, trying to get your video game review out a week before it's out it's like yeah you, you might do fine if you just wait till after the launch and a lot of channels do do fine you just have to put more thought into it and i think it's time if the market changes the way we do business has to change. Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. I, I. That's the thing. It, it's n not to say there's any issue with the way reviews have been done. Because I think no. they're, they, it's just when the market changes the way you have to evaluate the value of a product inevitably has to change. Like... If houses were at a fixed price uh, for like square footage or whatever, or they, we just sold models of houses and it's like, well, this house, this is how much this costs. If then they broke that model was broken away from and we got our current model of how houses are evaluated. Okay, well, then the way you dictate how you buy a house changes. It's an inevitability when, <laughs> when the market changes, the way you evaluate it has to change. And I think if this were like a flash in the pan, like a year, like one year of weird pricing, okay, well, then it's just a weird fluke year. But I don't think this is going to stop completely for a long time, if ever. Mm -hmm. and, and, and what would you say this, that word you said, what is this specifically? The expectation that a, a card is necessarily going to be cheaper a year from when it releases like so mm -hmm. in 2012 you could reasonably say a graphics card that's four hundred dollars in 2012 2013 would probably be 250 or 300 dollars. that's just not true anymore mm -hmm. it, it's in this market it might be more than it was i think probably is and that inherently changes the way you have to think about the market and once again like if it was just a year of that where prices just don't decrease one year for some weird reason. Okay, well then, it was one year, but now it's going on like two years. Um, I don't see it changing anytime soon. Um, maybe if this uh, chip shortage that we're currently in abates, maybe we'll go back to what it used to be like, but 
You know, I think it was called the 2021 chip shortage or the 2020 chip shortage. Maybe we're just in a perpetual chip shortage for the next five or six years or something. And and I don't think it'll be a shortage in 2023 like we're seeing now. It'll feel like it's over. But clearly something's changed, though, in the way this operates. And, you know, it's funny how much we're talking about, like, MSRP and stuff after me leaking AMD paying for you know, day one pricing to feel more like what they think it will be in a few months, which again, isn't as bad as what NVIDIA is doing, but it's still like, it's still dishonest, you know, but that's because I don't have much to say about AMD doing this. I think the more interesting conversation is why does NVIDIA feel like they have to manipulate the day one pricing when they should just say it costs more? Why does AMD, and it's because they're trying to hide that the prices are higher and that they will fluctuate. And I think over time, and I have heard people in the industry say this repeatedly to me, that they've noticed bad review after bad review after bad review, and they don't like it. And they think that having an MSRP is the main culprit. And so I think we're going to see, I think RDNA 3 will have MSRPs. And I think Lovelace will too. But it wouldn't surprise me if after that, the successive cards don't. Like they just have a launch yeah. tier set of prices, and, and or they even move to what did I call it? TTP, temporary target price. Like they might as well just call it that because that's what it is. Like they launch and say our temporary target price for launch month is this. This is what we think it should cost if you're getting a good deal, but we can't promise it will stay that price forever. And then they just launch stuff mm-hmm. with no promises after that. I think that's what we're going to start seeing more and more and more. Again, like if you think about. What happened with Turing? Whether it's a 2060, then a 2060 Super, 2070 Super, 2060, now 12 gigabyte. 2060, 12 gigabyte doesn't have an MSRP. I think we could see a situation where all of the TIs and Supers and extra core count and RAM count versions just don't have MSRPs as they release as many yields as makes sense for them to release randomly and just let the market decide what a product's actually worth themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I- I think that it seems that at least NVIDIA is moving towards that, and it's yet to be seen if AMD will, but, you know, I think they probably <laughs> they probably will, you know? Yeah, and, and I would add on to that. One thing I point out in my, in this video that I did, you know, AMD's, like, fake day one MSRP, is... Short term, what's going to happen is a lot of people are going to be confused about what something's worth because they're like, wait, I don't even know what this is supposed to cost. What do I do? But I think long term consumers will actually start asking harder questions because there's something weird that's been going on, I've noticed, in the past five years where reviews on YouTube for graphics cards, half of the comments are just hoping they are told they're smart if they buy this. Like, and that's it. Like, they're not actually paying attention to the relative performance. You'll see people misquoting the relative performance of Vega to a 1080. And, you know, Mm -hmm. like, no, they just bought what they were told they're smart if they bought. And if all you have is day one benchmarks, this means consumers will actually have to look at the benchmarks. They'll have to. Yeah. And this will mean consumers will go, well, if I don't know what the price is, okay. Uh, You know, just hypothetically, people will be like, I have a 6700 XT. Um, it runs all my games actually really well. Actually, now that I think about it, it runs most of my games at 4K 120 that are a few years old. And there's no card I can't run with FSR in 4K, at least at 100 hertz or something. There's that one game I have that's really hard to run in 4K, but whatever. 1440p looks fine to me anyways. And you'll go, so what would I pay for something that made it even easier to run at 4K 120? Oh, probably not that much. 
<laughs> because yeah. my games run fine anyways. And I think you're going to have consumers look at the benchmarks, say, oh, that's what this can do compared to mine. Okay, how much more would I pay? And then they'll go to Newegg and say, oh, it costs way more than that. Yeah, I don't care. I, I think that's something that's going to happen eventually where these companies, someone put this in the Moore's Laws that Discord after the video came out. Long term, this might just give companies more rope to hang themselves with because if they don't let me, people make it easy, what it's, what 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 you say a thing should be worth, then that means people will decide for themselves, and they may find out they actually didn't need more performance for most of their games. I hope that's what happens if this is where the market turns, because well, corporations being punished for you know screwing us over would be great to see, you know. Or again, it won't be punished so much as. The actually good products will be more rewarded, and the yeah. fake ones will get less airtime. And yeah. at least I, I, I can't see it not at least a little bit happening that way. I, I don't see what happens is MSRP goes away and everyone keeps mindlessly buying. Because if you remove MSRP, I just don't think people will. I think they will. If you remove an official price, then people need to decide on their own, which is just going to make people more critical. Yeah. All right. Let's move on. Bullethead writes in. What do you think about Kyle Bennett's recent editorial, which addresses reasons why GPU manufacturers would abandon MSRPs? Well, the first part talks about AMD and NVIDIA wanting to make more money is kind of obvious. His next point, that this move allows them to make TechTuber reviews of GPUs less influential in the market, was something I hadn't considered. Do you think there's a, any way for reviewers to combat GPU manufacturers, eliminating the obvious value metric? Could we see bill materials estimates become the new MSRP equivalent? You see, I, 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 if you actually read what Kyle Bennett wrote, which is status quo is no mo, which I actually ran into this while I was doing research for my video. What would that be, Friday or something? So I was like halfway done through the script, and I, I found this, and I was like, this guy's seen half, half of the same stuff I'm about to say. That's hilarious. Oh, and <laughs> frankly, what we had already said in the die shrink that was already out that day. Um, yeah. You know, anyways, though, what do I think about it? I think it's a good write-up. And, I, you know, link will be in the description, guys. I recommend people read it. Um, but in, I actually want to skip ahead here to, do you think there's a way for reviewers to combat GPU manufacturers eliminating the value metric? Yeah, there was, but they didn't do it. So, like, that actually pisses me off when someone asks me that question. Yes, they would have said something about the 3080-12 gigabyte not having an MSRP. I'm aware I did and Steve at Hardware Unboxed did. Almost no one else did. Okay? Yeah. How could they have combated this? Not giving the 3050 a review when it didn't exist. Zero out of ten. Doesn't exist. But those things didn't happen. So what I think we've seen is it's easy to manipulate this system. Yeah, and hopefully... It Hopefully, the market moves towards a different system where, like we said, a bill of materials estimate, assuming you do a good job doing that estimate, could be informative. and Or just separating the review and the benchmarks, I think, is the two ways you can easily combat uh, the way the market's headed right now. And I just, yeah, I have to bring it up again. Like, I leaked Ampere's real value and how... The MSRPs were fake for half of the cards in 2020, and so did Gamers Nexus, where he had the bill materials for 3060s and said this card can't be made with 6 gigabytes below 250. Well, then mm -hmm. why did the 3050 get a review? Prices are up. You know that card can't be made for 250. So there's a situation where he had the bill materials. That was your chance to stop this, guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, and yeah, I think that needs to start happening. And that it, look, there needs to be day one benchmarks, month later, final reviews. That's what yeah. needs to happen. And it's what's going to happen, <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, because it's too late. The market's changing. Re- uh, GPU manufacturers are probably going to start removing pricing. And there will be a bunch of chaos short term, long term. That's uh, that is it's truly what I think is going to happen. And after the chaos is over, I think we'll actually be left with a smarter consumer base. But let us move on then to the final story. This is a story filled episode here. Usually we only have six, but today we are on story number nine. Story number nine, Best Buy adds Total Tech tier to their subscription services. Total Tech is a $200 annual membership subscription that Best Buy promotes quite heavily, probably due to knowing the profitability that you usually get with an add-on retail service. Positive aspects of the subscription are things like extended product warranty, extended return periods, free two-day shipping, and an elevated level of service or after-sales help. Previously, one particularly highlighted benefit of Total Tech was access to, quoting, exclusive Total Tech member pricing. Has meant exclusive purchase access to hot tech like the PlayStation 5. Unfortunately, this policy is now also swept over NVIDIA's GeForce RTX 30 series product line, which holds some of the best GPUs on the market and the most sought-after ones. And so, yeah, I mean, there appears to have been some conditions built into the GeForce GPU paywalls to prevent scalping, but they weren't thought out that properly. For example, one scalper noted that if you sign up for this service, you can buy one of each SKU still. And... Let me see here. And SKU means a stock keeping unit, so it refers to the particular model. Yet this same individual bought almost $20,000 worth of GPUs by going through Best Buy stock, grabbing one of each model, and ordering it a minute or two after the previous order. Scalpers quickly sidestep Best Buy's implemented obstacles. This failing is severe. The Best Buy's position in the U.S. market as the exclusive NVIDIA Founders Edition re- GPU reseller affected the scalpers gleefully highlighted to one another that it's now easier to get Founders models for scalping from Best Buy, the only people that sell them. Look, here's what's happened. Best Buy's added this $200 a year service. It's supposed to make it easier for you to get things at MSRP. But look, here's what I'll say, guys. I reached out to a few people that work at Best Buy in a few areas. So it was mixed input from the people there, what they thought. One of them highlighted that the scalper amounts and bond amounts they're dealing with are insane. That, like, mm-hmm. when they do drops of Founders cards or PlayStation 5s, for the first day, 99%, he said, I think he said, like, 95% or more of sales are to bots. But they cancel 90% of those because they find a way to prove it's a bot. And they're tired, tired of having to deal with that. To be on this Total Tech membership, you need to have provide an ID. You need to be a member who's bought from Best Buy before in the past. So there are a lot of real things in there. Having said that, though, I still can't help but feel like this is a last-minute cash grab before availability gets better and that scalpers will still use it. And and, and I think the most important thing to highlight about this that a lot of people are missing um, is that the people that wanted things at MSRP aren't paying a $200 a year membership. Yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's kind of just giving access to, I guess, scalpers somehow and people that already were paying premiums, which... It's almost defeating the purpose. I mean, I guess you get extra perks with this, but 
I don't <laughs> I don't know. I just saw that and to me it screamed cash grab. Like <laughs> that that's really the most I have to say about that and I don't know, it seems a little slimy to me. Yeah, I mean, I think people are overstating how much of a cash grab it is that there are real attempts here to prevent scalpers and that you you can't even just like sign up and cancel it like they like have a weird system you have to go through to cancel the membership and get any money back and it's like a prorated percent of how long you've had it so like mm-hmm. this really isn't something they are trying to prevent scalpers but at the same time it's like still if you're a scalper you'll sign up for this and use it number one number two Anyone who isn't willing to pay extra over MSRP definitely isn't going to pay $200. The people that want cards at MSRP most, I don't think are going to jump on this. Yeah. <laughs> that That's the major issue I have that I don't think I've seen enough people say. But yeah, I did want to give our word on it as a, as a full story, but we better get to the wrap-up because it seems like my brain is slowly breaking down, Dan. So let us move on then here. Let me put down the timestamp. So here's the wrap-up. We have quite a few things in the wrap-up today. Um, let me see here. Which Where was this one? Yeah, okay. So first of all, we have Igor's tech uh, or Igor's lab. Again, I'm, I'm falling apart, guys. <laughs> Yeah, he confirmed that the 115 watt, which is closer to the power usage I expected if it wasn't clocked high, 3050 based on GA107 is coming. So there you go. Um, and I said that was what's going to happen. I do find it a little funny people talking about, oh, uh, you know, it seems like the GA107 model is coming out. And it's like, yeah, I said it would over and over. Yeah. But <laughs> like, and I don't think you needed sources to know that. That's the only reason they would have disabled a GA106 card, even down to PCIe times eight. They're literally doing a temporary run so they can say the 3050s out before they launch the real 3050s. Um, I... I don't, when, I'm, I'm mean, curious to. I, I have not, don't have much to say. I'm curious to see if there's any like, because I'm sure there will be, like some weird uh, idiosyncrasies <laughs> between the uh, two different cards. I'm just curious to see how those turn out. Yeah, one thing that's already been mentioned is that the GA106 models are expected to overclock better, like a lot better, which oh, seems okay, common yeah. sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then we have the R. <laughs> I have this here, an honorable mention. RX sixty four hundred has been pictured, and I put who cares? <laughs> I mean, I have nothing to say. Yep, there's another Navi twenty four card for desktop that's gonna suck. Um, then we have the MX five fifty benchmarked, and I will say I feel like some of the discussion around the MX five fifty benchmark is a little misleading. Like people are like it's losing to the R nine fifty nine hundred HS and pass mark. It's like I'm, I wasn't aware that's the most popular game people play. And people underemphasize that it seemed to beat the 450 by, uh, let me see here, by like 30%. Yeah. So, or 40%. So, mm, the 450 is definitely about as strong as a 5900 HS or stronger on average. So, to me, this suggests something that is not as weak as a Saison APU, guys. Yeah. But I do think that still puts it where I thought it would be. Not stronger than Rembrandt, <laughs> to be fair. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I guess we'll see how when more benchmarks appear for it, because synthetic benchmarks are they're worth discussing to compare cards, I guess. But I think real world benchmarks are more important. 
And this continues with my opinion that they shouldn't have made a 550 and a 570. What you're seeing called the 550 should be the 540. And what they're calling the MX-570 should have just been the 550 if it wanted any chance of being good against Rembrandt. Because I think what you're looking at here at best will be at Rembrandt by like 10%. This is, yeah, not, I don't know. But uh, <laughs> moving forward, um, I thought this was interesting. Did you see this foldable OLED tech here? Uh, yeah, I looked at it a little bit. I mean, it seems kind of cool, but we'll, we'll see how, uh, how foldable screens continue to develop, I guess. Some of them work pretty well, though. I got to say, the one that I liked was the foldable laptop because that means you could completely unfold it and have, like, a big 20-inch display that you then hook up a controller to and game on. I'm like, now that's a laptop I'm interested in. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, also, we have Alder Lake N. So, 8 Gracemont plus 32 execution units. The reason I bring this up, well, number one, that's an interesting micro APU that I can't wait to see tested. Uh, yeah. Number two... I was told about Alder Lake N a few months ago, or I think more than a few <laughs> months ago. I just never got the specs, so I can no. verify this is real, guys. <laughs> um, let me see. Uh, Arc has mesh, sh uh, sorry, mesh shaders like other graphics cards. I don't have much to add besides saying that, you know. But mm -hmm. again, it seems like Alchemist will have the latest rendering tech, even if it's not competing in the ultra high end. Um, Intel is building a new, gra uh, I assume based on the wording, actually integrated graphics card team in the UK. I thought that's an honorable or a thing we should bring up, you know, that Intel's building an entirely new GPU team in the UK. We also have benchmarks here for the i3-12100F, which I just want to point this out again, guys. <laughs> it's a $120 i3 that's almost as good as a 5600X. And yeah, it seems I, I, to be as good as a 3600 or 50. Or yeah, I mean, like, this is just clearly the budget king here. Yeah, I, I have less of a uh, difficulty at this point making recommendations for CPU purchases versus, like, GPU, where if you're looking to build something on a budget, this is obviously the best choice at this point. Yeah, and I, and I do want to just highlight that again. It's like, what has PCIe 4.0? Alder Lake. And now mm -hmm. you can get B660 motherboards that aren't expensive. You can get i3s that are as strong as a 5600X. And I know it sucks, but you can get like a $270 6500XT that is about a 590 in that system if you want to. And this is just a substantially better building condition than what we had a year ago, which was just a nightmare. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And we say budget king, but like if you're only doing gaming, you're not sacrificing all that much with the 12100F, in my opinion. Like, you can game very, very well with those. Yeah, it's... If, especially if you're on 60 hertz. And, and yes. Then, and, or playing old games at 120 hertz. With the note... With the thing to note that this can be upgraded to 24-core Raptor Lake, guys. Mm -hmm. You know, it's hard for me to recommend Zen 3 for, for anything anymore unless you already have a socket that fits it. But, um... Or, or unless Zen 3 gets dirt cheap, which it's getting there. Um, let's see. We also have Intel reaffirms their Bitcoin mining initiative, which this isn't the first time people have talked about this. Ian Cutters was like, I already did a full story on this a few weeks ago, guys. But I do think it's notable Intel shared a picture and like reaffirmed these really are coming out. I, I don't know. What do you think about Intel making mining, as far as I can tell, APUs or whatever, or just ASICs? Uh 
It was only a matter of time until one of the big three tech companies explicitly got into it, I think. You know? Like, I, I, I'm not surprised Intel is doing it. I, I don't know if I'm surprised Intel in particular is, but mm. I, I, I think it's just bound to have been one of the three eventually makes this because it's such a lucrative market. Yeah, and I think there's been rumors that Samsung was going to do this for a very long time, that AMD was looking into it. I guess I agree. It might be a little surprising Intel's the first, but I bet they can give what what's the, uh, what's I don't even remember anymore. What's the big Bitcoin mining company? Is it Bitmain? Bitmain, yes. I bet Intel can give Bitmain a run for their money if they want to. The question is how much effort they're putting into it, though, because if they put like only a few million or 10 million into it, eh, Bitmain yeah. does have billions now, though. They do specialize in it. Yeah. That'll yeah be they're not interesting. a tiny company. <laughs> that'll, that'll be very interesting to see, I think. Also, we have a leaked benchmark here of Intel Sapphire Rapids against Milan X, which I think is interesting because it seems like they basically tie each other. That's good. <laughs> I, I don't know much more to say. Yeah, it's good except that Sapphire Rapids is coming out half a year after Milan X and uses double the energy. Of course, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> but again, we might have a narrow window where it's like, ah, Intel almost got up. Um, this link I added here in this long, long, long list of links. Um, I just wanted to highlight this, Dan. This is a what is this? Uh, let me see the speed here: seven point four gigabyte per second Gen four M dot two SSD for one hundred and thirty dollars. I think this is important to note for two reasons. It's been like. I built my Zen 2 system in, in late 2019 with a Gen 4 SSD that was $150 and was 5 gigabytes a second. And I've unfortunately been saying for two years, over, yeah, wait, one, well, a year and a half-ish, you know, it's pathetic that SSDs are more expensive than what I paid over a year ago. Well, here we have yeah. something that is a little cheaper and 50% faster. And that again goes to show you where we're at, where... This is pretty good, and you know it's heavily advertised for the PS5. No surprise, this easily meets Sony's specifications for putting it on a PS5. And again, well, there you go. So the Xbox Series X's ridiculous proprietary <laughs> SSD that costs over two hundred bucks now looks stupid. And I think I just needed to highlight that because I just don't think people understood that. Like, the whole point of what Sony did wasn't because it'll be cheap on day one. It's because they knew within a year or so it'll be way cheaper to just let people buy their own SSD. Yeah, it's. I mean, we'll see if I ever even get a, a, a secondary SSD, but I, you don't like need need it. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. We have the writer of Resident Evil 4, was it Shinji Mikami, said that he hopes if they remake Resident Evil 4, they update the story because he wrote it in three <laughs> weeks. That's just funny. And, you know, good on him for saying that. Yeah, and I think this is a thing you see people say all the time, like, don't change anything in the story. Can you believe they removed this cutscene? And it's like, I just found it refreshing that one of the writers was like, yeah, it'd probably be better if you updated it. Because <laughs> I would certainly say that. Like, like, who am I to think that 10 years after I make something by myself, or actually however long ago it was, I think more than 10 years, obviously. Yeah, more than 10 years at this point. <laughs> It'll be almost 20 years or something, um, that... You know, why am I so sure no one could do a better job than me? It's not always bad to update things. Um, yeah, I, I think w this weird idea people have where sometimes they think like, well, writing gets has gotten worse since certain games or gameplay gets worse. It's like you I think some people are just 
have mm-hmm. really, really, really strong uh, nostalgia, nostalgia goggles. Yeah, and this also reminds me of something I heard about uh, for the HBO show, The Plot Against America, where the original writer of it decades ago like, was talking to the showrunner, and they're like, we're actually thinking of changing this aspect of the story because we think it would make more sense. And the writer of that HBO show was surprised that the writer of the book goes, yeah, that makes a lot more sense. And he's like, what? <laughs> he's like, I'm not infallible. Yeah, that's a better ending. Yeah, I wrote this 50 years ago, dude. Like, what? Yeah. By myself. Yeah. I'm not surprised your team of writers at HBO came up with a better aspect of one of the parts of the plot. <laughs> and he was just blown away by that. He's like, all right, we'll do it. He's like, yeah, sounds good. <laughs> and I think more writers need to like just sometimes people come up with better ideas if you give them enough time. But anyways, moving forward, AMD receives approval for Xilinx acquisition. Oh, we always knew it was going through, but there you go, damn. Um, and the Xbox Series X fridge is out. Now, I brought this up because I remember saying I wanted it, but when I clicked on the Target link to it, it's only $100. That's not too bad. It has pretty bad reliability. That's unfortunate. Yeah. (laughs) I kind of wanted to get one to put behind me in the studio for my videos, but I don't know. Not if it doesn't work. (laughs) Yeah. It's just a... Yeah, it's it's kind of a joke device, so I guess we can't be surprised there. I wonder how fast they decide, like how fast of a product they decided this would be. Like, mm-hmm. oh, people are calling it a fridge. Let's do this as a, as a joke because we're we're fun and jokey. Mm-hmm. All right, and final story in the write up: FTC investigating Microsoft Activision deal. We have a couple reader mails for this as well, but yeah, I, I just want to bring this up. You know. I've always said that this assumption that the Microsoft Activision deal is going to go through easily is a wrong assumption. I think it will probably go through, but the idea that the FTC isn't going to try to block this after just blocking ARM is weird. Why would they? They might block this, guys. And it is getting to a point where it is looking like a company is trying to become a monopoly. And it's funny. Guest recent guest Richard Hogue was just saying apparently the other day that he gives it a 20% chance at this point. This thing's blocked after seeing this going through and that a big reason you see Microsoft walking around going, no, all of our games are going to be on PlayStation and we'll even bring them to Nintendo is because Microsoft's trying to telegraph to the FTC that they won't do monopolistic things. I think um, there there are some people that are acting like it was an inevitable inevitability that it was going to be challenged by the F or blocked by the FTC and some people that were acting like, well, this clearly isn't a monopolistic practice. Uh, I, I mean, I think there's a debate for it being monopolistic. I understand that Sony is actually still technically a bigger publisher of video games than Microsoft, but Microsoft owning the, a vertical segment of like this many markets is probably not great and yeah i think the fact that they immediately were telegraphing that most things wouldn't become exclusive was signaling to the ftc to not try to block the deal Mm -hmm. and and and, you know nvidia did similar things after they announced their arm acquisition they walked around saying we're not going to change anything we're not going to do anything but at the end of the day what the ftc's decided is it doesn't matter what you might say you're going to do the fact is if you do this acquisition you could become a monopoly and therefore we're blocking it it's going to be up to the ftc if they come to that same conclusion but i do think 
anyone who's listening to this and going, oh, they said they're going to still put it on Nintendo. The FTC does not evaluate if they think you'll be nice. They evaluate if they think what you're doing is easily leading to a monopoly and you should be stopped. Mm-hmm. Amiable Chief writes in, he says, do you think Sony purchasing Bungie was a knee-jerk reaction to the MS Activision deal or just unfortunate timing that made it seem so? I, if anything, it would be a reaction to the Bethesda deal based on the timeline of the purchase and the fact that they said they were working on this for half a year. But no, it's really its own thing. Yeah, I think so. Unless they Sony had caught wind in like months before and decided to try to pursue uh, another large deal. I suppose I'm not saying that's what happened. I suppose that could have happened. I, you're probably right there at least semi-independent of one another and maybe there was a push to announce it faster after activision after the activision deal was announced but i think that's probably at most what it was yeah it, it wasn't a reaction to it again though it's not to say there isn't some aspects to this that were reactionary to a certain degree you know tick dickler writes in and he goes gentlemen i hate consolidation as much as the next person but you guys have to admit Microsoft taking the biggest selling yearly PlayStation game and centrally partnered FPS game, Call of Duty, and making it a Microsoft first party game, only for Sony to take what was once the greatest Microsoft first party studio, known for amazing FPS games, and make them a Sony first party, is an incredible clapback. Given that the consoles are now definitely lost leaders, is anybody getting a PS360 generation feeling? Is another desperate dialectical battle of Xbox and PlayStation, each testing and strengthening each other on the horizon? Or is that just wishful thinking? Oh, I think it's here. I think Sony has woken up, and the idea that they're going to just waddle around and be like, we're in charge, is gone. I don't think they did. They didn't pull PS3. PS5 launched well, was far less arrogant than the PS3, but the PS3 like eclipsed new levels of arrogance we've never seen before. So, you know, it's it's it would be hard to be as arrogant as they were back then. Yeah, I, and I don't see that at all right now. I don't see the level of arrogance even that like Microsoft had when they launched the Xbox, uh, the Xbox One. I think Sony seems somewhat more arrogant than they used to be, but I. I, I don't think people are remembering just how mm. much how on top of the world Sony felt after the PS2, and uh, I don't know if they could really rise to that level until like all of the executives that were there during that era are gone, <laughs> and like the corporate structure has forgotten how arrogant and how bad that was for them. They were. Yeah, and I guess another thing I want to add on to this whole Microsoft buying stuff, Sony buying stuff discussion is I was thinking of this today. At the end of the day, I don't like the consolidation, and that's going to be the long-term problem. Short-term, guys, I think it's becoming abundantly obvious. Nothing is going to change. They're going to keep putting Call of Duty on PlayStation. They will probably start putting some of the newer or newest Call of Duties on Game Pass. But that's it. Sony's not going to pull Destiny from Xbox. Yeah, Bungie's seemingly going to remain a third party. Mm -hmm. Or not third party. It's seemingly going to continue acting as a third party. And, you know, maybe they'll be using some of their talent to supplement teams uh, from other PlayStation teams. That's what it seems like they're doing, at least short term. Who knows? Maybe Bungie does become an exclusive house uh, 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 studio five years down the line. I'm not going to pretend that that will never happen. But at least for the time being, Bungie is going to remain a third party, uh, the third party uh, developer of Destiny. 
No, and the people who think that Microsoft is just going to remove Call of Duty from X, uh, Call of Duty from PlayStation, it's not going to happen. <laughs> That's been clarified so many times now, and I, I, I'm confused that why the discussion continued. I don't think it's happening anymore, but I was confused why the discussion. I know I was continuing it was to happen. From the like, from, I mean, there was a couple days where it's like you never know. Although that would be a massive hit to uh, Activision's bottom line, taking Sony away from it, but. Like uh, like three days after the purchase was announced, Phil Spencer said, no, we're not doing that. <laughs> yeah. And no one really talked about that. It was just like, oh, I guess people are still going to debate whether this uh, Call of Duty is going exclusive when Phil Spencer explicitly said, no, it's not. Right. And, and what I would say is, at the end of the day, I don't think you're seeing Microsoft pull games from Sony. I don't think you're seeing Sony pull games from Microsoft. I think what you're seeing is fewer companies controlling more of the market and i don't like that i don't think it's gonna That's make almost good. any difference short term or even midterm but 10 years from now i am worried we will be looking at a place where sony and microsoft dictate everything well and you have to keep in mind that it's not just sony it's also sony sony microsoft tencent um embracer group is who i was thinking of and so you have like we're gonna have like five entities dis- deciding everything and i don't like that yeah, and it's getting to the point where it's like Ubisoft and who and like EA are going to seem like the little guys at a yeah, certain like point. What's I don't happening know. when Ubisoft and EA seem like the underdogs? Yeah, I don't know, Dan. Let's move on here to the final reader mails. Evil Steve Software Boxed writes in. He says, I've been thinking about buying a PS5 for a while, but now I'm generally baffled if it's worth it to wait for the PS5 Slim and or Pro. Given that Tom has been consistently teasing Sony wants to do a price increase justified by performance increase, I wanted to ask what exactly will I be getting for my money by waiting? Will potential new features and increased performance be big enough to justify a price like over a base PS5 digital? No. I don't think so. You know, I think I think maybe actually, but I don't think I don't think if Sony launches a six nanometer PS5 Pro that's effectively an overclocked 40 CU PS5 with, you know, like I don't know, 40% more bandwidth is going to make you go, yeah, I waited to get this for six hundred dollars. Just if you want one now, get one now. You're not going to regret it. Yeah, and I don't I don't know if you'll disagree with me on this, but I think Sony has generally been pretty good about they're the new releases of uh consoles and handhelds they put out they don't make feel previous purchasers feel like burned by buying uh their previous console like i don't think ps anyone who bought a ps4 base felt burned by the ps4 pro (laughs) no i think the only time that ever happened at all was like the ps3 and that was like a unique or in 360 but it was a unique scenario for both yeah, that's true. And at least the base, not base, original PS3 was still had more features, even though the features were arguably useless. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's move on to some more of these reader mails. Kind of, actually, I'm going to jump over here and try to read through more of the, you know, try to keep on the same train of thought. Deep Dish Learning Pizza writes in and he says, Hi, Tom and Little D. Hmm. Do you approve <laughs> of that name, Dan? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think I do either. I wanted to ask your thoughts on about the idea of game exclusives, but on PC. 
You read that correctly. I personally believe that in the future we will see PC games released that only run on a certain manufacturer's hardware or, at the very least, run deliberately gimped in performance and features. I don't think this is hard to envision. As console exclusives have been around for decades, we heard rumors of NVIDIA paying developers not to implement FSR into their games, and even little splash screens in games like say things like NVIDIA the way it's meant to be played. I know these examples are a far step from locking out game dependence on what GPU a PC gamer is using, but I personally just feel that within the next 10 years we will be saying things like, I wanted to buy the AMD 9000 series, but I really wanted to play GTA 8. Anyways, I feel like Feel free to tell me I'm wrong. Love the shows. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Deep Dish Learning Pizza, for writing in. And I will feel free to say you're wrong. I don't think that's happening. But I don't think what your example is is happening. GTA 8. First of all, GTA 8 is probably coming out in 100 years. Second of, <laughs> second of all, I don't think a game of that caliber would ever do that. But let us remember, there's already Quake RTX. There's already Minecraft RTX. I think that's about the degree that you're going to get to. Or, of course, Dying Light 2, which might as well be an NVIDIA exclusive in my book. Yeah, and I, I think the idea of GIMP performance, depending on what uh, manufacturer you buy from, like that's happened in the past many times. That will, That's going to continue to happen, I think. The idea of a fully exclusive thing, though, is seems like a thing no developer would sign on to unless they started paying, you know, lot massive sums of money to keep it locked out from AMD or NVIDIA. And if that became a big thing, that would be one of those things where it's like, oh, I don't know if I want to keep playing PC games then. And this <laughs> has know? happened before. You had, what is it, with Glide or whatever? For, God, I don't yeah. remember which. You know, there's been games that have been exclusive to one graphics manufacturer in the past. Uh, Half-Life Lost Coast, you needed an AMD CPU to boot it up for a bit. For a bit. Not the yeah. actual game. They would not ever make a Half-Life game only on AMD or Intel, you know? And I think if you look around, Sony's bringing more games to PC, Microsoft's putting a lot of their games on PlayStation, bringing them to Nintendo. I think that business model's gone Would that even makes sense anymore. I think you're just gonna see little things here and there, Dying Light 2, Quake RTX, Minecraft RTX, that are the closest thing you're gonna get. But I, a few indie games, yes, only run mm -hmm. on Nvidia or something like that. I don't think you're seeing GTA 8, which again, is not coming out in 10 years. Uh, <laughs> I don't see that ever. Something I mean, of that if we're caliber. we're looking at the cadence, GTA 7 will... Realistic prediction, GTA 7 might be a, a 2038 game. <laughs> right, competing with the Elder, Elder Scrolls 6. <laughs> competing with the Elder Scrolls 5 PS7 edition. Yeah, the the, the re-re-re-re-release re, 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 of Elder Scrolls 5. They still haven't re released a new Elder Scrolls. They're just continuing to release skyrim in different forms i'm just kidding guys elder Scrolls 6 isn't coming out in 2038 it'll probably come out 2032 <laughs> <laughs> all right enough bethesda slams wasted herald writes in would the 6500 xt been better reviewed if people actually considering buying it commented on it i joke but i do really wonder what percentage of the people making fun of this card are people with stronger cards anyways versus the people actually considering buying the thing kind of like people complaining the 3090 is too expensive but let's be honest you're not the person who is ever going to buy one why do you care so much I, I think that's honestly a very fair thing to point out from both aspects yeah uh, like the <laughs> i think a lot of the negative coverage was people just piling onto it for who weren't necessarily going to buy it yeah <laughs> i mean you see behind me dan i'm a reviewer i've got 
a bunch of cards behind me. I've got a 3070 Founders in my system. I'm not the person who would actually get a 6500 XT that I needed. Mm -hmm. The people that want it, though, man, are they in my comments saying, thank God I could get this instead of a 1050 Ti. Yeah. And the same goes for some high-end cards, because, you know, I've told myself recently, you know what? If top RDNA 3 is over twice as strong as RDNA 2 in raster, and then it's like triple the ray tracing performance, I'll pay big bucks for it. And then if someone calls me stupid for paying, you know, whatever, 1500 two grand for it, I'd go, yeah, but it's not for you. It's for me to do rendering, and I have them. I want to reward this company for taking the crown by such an absurd amount, finally. But this mm -hmm. isn't for you. Yeah. So why are you commenting? Calm down. Easy on the cap locks, okay. guys. Dan. <laughs> All right, final reader mail. QH Freddy writes in, Let's say you worked at a GPU company and were given a mandate to fix the GPU pricing singularity you've been talking about and offer a new card at the $100 price point. How do you go about it? I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking, so a $100 card, I assume people want everything to at least be somewhat of a 1080p card so i right. think you'd want to have four first, gigs of ram no that's the first and, thing i put here right as number one i guess it has to have two gigabytes of ram it's like do, do you guys which think? is uh, two gigabytes of ram i think it's already a non-starter then as a gaming card the mx series would disagree with you but i would disagree with the mx series exactly you know <laughs> it, like People talk about how many corners the 6500 XT cut, and it was too many. What corners do you think I would have to cut for a $100 card? Yeah, I know. Like, two, it would have to have two gigabytes because if it had four gigabytes, I mean, a $100 card, four gigabytes is already, like, what, 40% of the price, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, so, guys, the damage is done. Prices have been going up for a while. Inflation is the nail in the coffin on that. Now, is there something we could do to try to help the pricing singularity, as I've called it, outside of a $100 GPU? Like, could we do a $200, $300 one? I mean, off the top of my head, it's like, yeah, what if they made a monolithic RDNA 3 card on the latest Global Foundries 12 nanometer with 8 gigabytes of RAM, all the modern features you need with decent ray tracing to last you a while, and you aim for a 250-watt card that could be sold for, well, at this point, I kind of feel like it's going to be 300 though. You know, even in a good time. And at that point, I'm starting to doubt if I couldn't make a better five nanometer card that uses half the energy because the die is half as big and we need less power components, a cheaper PCB, cheaper fan. I think there could be something done at the $300 mark, but I just don't see how I could make anything at the 100. And, and ultimately, I think an APU is the real answer. Yeah. Not uh, to it, mention all of this e-waste. Well, why am I making a new... Let's be honest. So what? This three hundred dollar twelve nanometer card. How strong is it going to be? Like a, like what? What are we talking about at best? A twenty eighty or like a sixty six hundred XT or something? That's already right now just below four hundred. And like so what? It's a more, it's a half double the power usage sixty six hundred XT. I don't see the point of that when you can just get a used card. I really yeah. think that you're just kind of contributing to e-waste at that point. And I actually start to see Gamers Nexus point where he keeps bringing that up. The solution is making a good APU for 200 bucks. Yeah. that That's what I think. And I think the market does kind of have to move there at some point. Indubitably. All right. Well, that is all of the reader mails. That is all of the stories. I don't know, Dan. Any last words? 
No, I don't think so. All right. Well, as always, we thank you guys for listening. Remember, you know, this independent thought, this putting out leaks about AMD's practices, NVIDIA's practices is not profitable without <laughs> Patreon. So if you have the extra money and, you know, $2 a month, $4 a month, you can join the Patreon. You get access to exclusive podcasts, ad-free podcasts. You get them early. You can ask me and guest questions. You can have your questions read right on air like they were in this episode. You can, uh, I mean, you can make it so maybe I finish an episode before I start rambling and forget my train of thought, even though that train of thought was so easy, like what I'm doing right now. But yeah, we can't do this without our patrons. Please consider supporting us. And uh, otherwise, tell your friends about us. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Give us a review on iTunes. And as always, thank you for listening. I'm going to go collapse. Bye, everyone. This podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast videos, articles, and other media. However, I don't do this alone. Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, and special assistance by Carbon Cry. Find all of our information, including the information of sponsors you can support, at www.moreslawsdead.com. If you would like to send fan mail or hardware to us, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead at P.O. Box 60632 in Nashville, Tennessee, zip code 37206. And speaking of fans, patrons are what makes Moore's Laws Dead content possible. The aging business model of spamming ads all over the content is dying. The future of media will be built on fans paying for the content they actually want to exist. And so if you have the extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, access to the Moore's Laws Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you and talk to you about computer hardware. I am one of them. Additionally, higher tiers get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the entire back catalog of Flyover State's podcasts and other projects, Moore's Laws that is done, and thanks in the credits of videos and other perks as well. And hey, if you can't afford to support us, please do share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media, Reddit, and forums. And give Broken Silicon a five-star review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast app. All of this really does help so much. And if you'd like to advertise on the podcast, hire Tom for consulting, or are a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its patrons supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Brad Medlin, Anthony Greffa, GUK, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I love you, Lynn and Jim, Ivan K, Tom Bailey, Muhammad Akwari, Frederick Lau, Lynn Yee, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Harrod, Drita Full, Phil S, D31337 Antics, Jackson A. Miller, Jesse Daskowiak, Josh Law, JBG, Travis Gooding, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Deezru, Daniel Hyde, A Guy in PA81, Nathan Mose, Cole Attic, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, F7GOS, Matthew Landavazo, My Name Is Nobody, Judson Analethros, Jensen Wang, Hey There's a Kitty, Greg Tiwantic, Rentaro Matsuka, John Jamison, Sam Vensel, Matthew Lane, Mark Raidmaker, Jan Rauner, Chris Licata, Michael McGee, Meyer Tech Rants, 
Eric Jackson, Jonathan, Patrick Groh, 3DS Boy 08, Dominique Cox, Stefan, Original Ross, Sandy, Garrido, Saunderson, Joaquin the Hagen, Teak Autumn, Sol Connor, Michael Costa, Andrew S. C. Jits, Aaron Keith, Gregory S. Hacker, Hexapumas, Tom San Filippo, Justice Brennan, Zutsu Taylor, Trevor Powers, Stu, Elenia, Nanya, Daniel Nishpal, Franco Frederick, Dan Galnowski, Ian Clifford, Axel Cisneros, Leighton Perry, Joseph Caravan, Brett Summers, Blake, Donovan Russell, Noah no- Nicoella, Zlicky, Martin Porchegi, David Cowden, Ricky Tan, Hulan, Patrick J.S., Justin Staples, Freddie Canos Jr., Stephen Coates, Kiwi Phil, Brucha, Jeremy So, Mitchell Pell, Silvanos, Eddie Del Castile, Jacob Laster, Luis Correa, Deke, Otiv Ekertz, Tyler Lindley, Tim Robbins, Jake Dude 23, Brian Riggleman, Justin Gower, Caillou Markelli, Dave McCoy, Valcom Olev, Gabe Lagner, Ronnie, DNA Tech, Michael Deaton, MJB1, Maurice Courtois, Wesley Sager, Sarcastro, My Sharona, Y Truy, Roman, William W. Draper, Air Rath, Spamton G. Spamton. Henry Zhang, Stephen Hart, Christopher A. Butler, Greg, Peter Moore, Amiable Chief, Justin Thomas, Sam Miller, Semi Malas, James Anderson, Shakir, Nick Rake, and Holden Mobley, Matthew Lazier, R. Pete Sharma, Mead and Pork, Jimmy and Gene, Mads, Matthew Lazier, Benjamin Oshley, Mark Mitchell, Shield TV, Couteau, Aaron, John Wazink, Mohammed, Jean Debon, Post Media, Sean Ashmont, Daniel Dewar, Stephen Zhang, JSMMH, Georgie Kostadinov, PC Beast 22, Reginald Aria, Narathiel, Ivan, Charles Russell, Halbuma, Akarsh, Aditya, The Grid, Andrew S., Chris Rich, Powell, Zagardowski, Desist, Josh Law, Chris B. Erbakken, Chrysantine, Zavbeat03, and of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>